I told you we would be in uh, Beatitudes, Matthew 5, for uh, the next few Sundays, uh, but the Lord changed that up on me. We're in Luke chapter 6 this morning. We're still talking about the Beatitudes, however. There's a lot of debate whether Matthew's Sermon on the Mount is the same sermon as Luke's Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes that Luke gives us in chapter 6. Most commentators would agree that they are the same message just told by two different men. Matthew giving the entire message, Luke just giving part of the message in his text. I, I really tried to go to Matthew 5. I want you to know that. I, I, I did my best to stay in that, but you know how things just don't work and you have to pray and the Lord says, go somewhere else. Go west, young man. So I went west in my Bible to Luke and I found the same message uh, just told by a, a different person. You know, um, some of you may not know this about me. When I, uh, before I became a pastor, even before I became a Christian, really, I, I grew up uh, working as a welder, a steam fitter. I moved to California, thought I needed to live out there. Uh, that was a bad mistake. But while I was there, I went through the apprenticeship program of the steam fitter and pipe fitters uh, local union 250 in Los Angeles, California. I graduated from apprenticeship school of four years and my dad had a business in Lawton, Oklahoma, uh, which did very similar work that I was used to out there. I was used to uh, refinery work, uh, nuclear powerhouse work and stuff like that. Well, he had a business, so I moved back here to Oklahoma and worked for him for several years in the local union here in Oklahoma City, 344 of the United Association. And while I was working there, for about 20-something years, I was called to be a Christian. I was called into ministry, and I gave up that profession to be a pastor. Yes, I'm glad about that, too. So in that process of all those years that I described to you, I wanted to say this, that um, I was the guy that I was among the men who the architect would put a set of blueprints in front of, and he would say, build that, okay? And so... I thought about this last night and I thought, you know, when the architect uh, put that blueprint together, he had, a, he had an idea in his head. He had a, a vision and then he put that down on paper and then he would collaborate that with other crafts and people and they would put their ideas all together and they would come up with a final blueprint. And then they would turn around and hand that to the construction crew. And the construction crew may not have that vision, may not have that idea, but he could take and build the bones of that idea. And he could construct that. And, and as he was building that and finishing the project, then he could say, ah, I see what they had in mind. So the architect had this in his head long before he put it on paper. But he put it on paper, he handed it to the construction guy. That was me, and I would look at it, and I would put the bones together, and then we would start putting the final details on it, and we all would rejoice at the end of the product, at the end or the completion of the project. And I'm telling you that to say this, that I believe that the Lord had an idea in His infinite mind, and it was what He wanted His people to be like. And so He came along and He put that down on paper. 
and we got that first draft back in the Old Testament with Moses. I don't want to call it a draft, but I want to call it the Ten Commandments or the Law of Moses. And God gave mankind that and said, this is what my people will look like. And over the years, that was uh, not changed, but it was finalized and fulfilled in the God-man, Jesus Christ. He came to live out that blueprint that God had established back in the Old Testament. But Jesus came along not to refine it, but to illustrate it in detail what God was saying in that first draft. You got that? So now he comes along with the Sermon on the Mount. So an idea in God's head, put down on paper, written and gone over and finalized, and then it's handed to Jesus and he erects it, builds the bones of it and puts the details in it, and now he shows it to you and I. This is what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's almost like the law of Moses condensed. So we come to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we get that Sermon on the Mount. We get the idea of God's mind about what His people are to look like and live like. And you know, Jesus condenses that three-chapter version into a smaller section here in Luke chapter 6. And Jesus draws a line again in the sand. Boy, he was a good line drawer, wasn't he? He draws a line in the sand. He makes a, he makes a contrasting division between people who are saved or desire to follow God and people who do not. And guess what? You are one of those two groups. When we think about all of humanity and we divide people into races and cultures and languages and, and we divide them into uh, economic sections and all kinds of ways we can divide people. When God looks at man, He divides them into two groups and that's all there is. So in reality, all of our division, dividing into groups is uh, meaningless. Because in the end, every human being will be divided into one of two groups. The Bible mentions it in different languages or descriptions. One would be sheep and goats. Right? One would be the righteous and the unrighteous. One would be the lost and the saved. One would be the wheat and the tares. The wheat and the weeds. So in Ultimately, in the end of your life, you will be found to be in one of those two groups. And that's what Jesus does here for us in Luke chapter 6. He takes the law of Moses, he takes the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, and he condenses it into a little section of Scripture we find in Luke chapter 6. Let's stand together and read that. Okay? Up and down, up and down. Here we go. Luke chapter 6, look at verse 20. My Bible has a subtitle over it called the Beatitudes. Maybe yours does as well. Luke 6, 20 says this, And turning his gaze toward his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. 
Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. Verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. Lord, bless us with your word this morning. And Father, put us in one of two groups. We know that is all there will be. I pray you put me in yours. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So, Luke gives us a contrast. Actually, Jesus gives us a contrast through the hand of Luke. He, he makes it those who are blessed and those who are woe. We discussed woe in my Sunday school class this morning. What does that mean? Woe. Right? It, it means beware. It means stop. It means look what you're doing. Pay attention to what's going on. I even threw out the thought that maybe it was spoken to us with compassion. That we would understand the result of the woe that is mentioned. So however you want to see that word woe, you need to understand this, that God told you and said it to you as a negative thing, not a positive thing. It's not going along with blessed. It's the opposite of blessed, right? So we get four things that have the title blessed in front of it, we get four things that have the title of woe in front of that. We know that the word blessed means to be happy. When you translate that Greek word blessed or even the Hebrew word blessed, it translates into happy. Happy is the man. Happy are the people. Woe means miserable. So we've got a distinction between being happy and being miserable. Right? The sheep will be happy. The goats will be miserable. The wheat will be happy. The tares will be miserable. The righteous will be happy. The unrighteous will be miserable. Two groups. You're in one of them. Today I pray that you know which one you're in before you walk out the door. If you're in the wrong one, I pray that you get in the right one before you walk out the door so that you can be happy forevermore. The two scriptures that we read this morning from the microphone there had to do with eternal life. I don't know if you picked that out in either one of those, but they both mentioned eternal life. The, the, the rich young man said, what do I do to get eternal life? The other scripture was read about we should live toward eternal life. And so with that thought in mind, in the end that will be coming, there are those who will be happy in eternal life and there are those who will be miserable internal, in eternal life. Now, uh, the Lord gives us a twist about the kingdom. You know, happiness in the kingdom of God today involves you in a little bit of 
trial and trouble. Right? There's a little bit of following Jesus that's going to bring persecution on you. And and he warns us about it and he makes us uh, know that it's a possibility and it probably will be that you will confront persecution in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. But the outcome of that life following Christ is eternal joy with Him, right? Now, the world is the other way around. You will for a short time receive happiness and and wonderful things in this world, but in the end, you will spend an eternity of misery. So don't let Satan fool you this morning by saying this, that If you go do what you like today, you'll be happy. Because he doesn't tell you about eternity. Never does he mention eternity. When the devil comes to confront you and to tempt you, what you need to do is resist him and then remind him of his future. Okay? Because he doesn't have a future. He will spend eternity in a place called hell along with all of those who follow Him and all of those who are not in the kingdom of God. So God's making a distinction for us today. We just read about it. Leon Morris said this, Christians are to be assuredly happy but never out of trouble. Right? We're never out of trouble as a Christian. We're either coming out of a trial or we're in the middle of one or we're getting ready to go into one. That's the life of a Christian. But in all of that, we find happiness because we're following after Jesus. The world might leave you happy temporarily for the rest of your life, but ultimately you will end up empty. So here's some points I want you to see out of this condensed version of the Sermon on the Mount. Number one, you must live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Okay? You have to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ or you've got a choice. You don't. You choose to live under His Lordship or you don't live under His Lordship. Right? Jesus draws a distinction for us in these verses. Each man must identify with one of the other. There is no fence. I keep reiterating that over and over. There is no fence that we can ride in the Christian life. I can't have one foot in and I can't have one foot out of the kingdom of God. Yet there are so many people who live with that mentality and that philosophy. Oh, if I go do this and I make a mistake this week, I can just go to church and get it taken care of. If that's how you're thinking, then you're trying to live one foot in and one foot out. And it doesn't work. The Lord said you're either for me or against me. Now, I want you to look at a comparison that He makes. Those who are blessed are the ones who are hungry. The ones who are blessed are the ones who are poor. The ones who are blessed are the ones who are weeping. Is Jesus talking about spiritually or physically? I would want to tell you both. All right? I've been to Mexico several times. I've gone into the richest neighborhoods in the town of Monterey, Mexico. You know what I find? They're not interested in Jesus. But I go to the poorest neighborhoods in Monterey, Mexico, and they are all about finding Jesus. Why? The blessed are the poor. Spiritually, we looked at it last week. 
poor spiritually, poor that are blessed that are mourned. But here Jesus gives us the indication it might be physical as well. I, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say it's both. It can be either or or both. It can be poor spiritually. It can be poor physically. But there is a difference. The rich are well fed. They laugh and they are acclaimed, yet they fall under judgment. So, which one are you? Well, I'm happy sometimes, Brother Clay. Is that wrong to be happy? No. Because the Bible says you'll be blessed if you do this. So there's a difference in that's what we need to figure out. That's what you need to understand. There's four blessings, verses 20 through 22, and four woes, verse 24 through 26. Here's the dilemma. Look in verse 20. And turning his gaze towards his disciples, he began to say, Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Look in verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you are receiving your comfort in full. Look in verse 21. Blessed are you who hunger now. Look in verse 25. Woe to you who are well fed now. Look in 22. Blessed are you when men hate you. Look in 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Unlike Matthew, Jesus draws a sharp line in the sand for us today. For you and for me. To understand where He sees that I stand. He makes a distinction. This is not uh, just so that I can decide. This is showing me where I stand. I don't get to make a decision about this necessarily. This is revealing where I stand. There is no black and white. There is no, I mean, it is only black and white. There is no gray. There is no fence. You must examine yourself, as I told you last week, which side are you in? And you say, well, Brother Clay, I'm not rich and I'm not poor. I'm middle class. I'm either or. I can be both, right? No, you can't. Not when it comes to the kingdom of God. You can't be both. You can't be rich and you can't be poor at the same time. Jesus says, this forces us to make a decision. This forces me to see where I stand with Him. I'm either in or I am out. There is no distinction. The kingdom then is to talk about the future and the present. Verse 20 says that if we live under His Lordship, we are obeying Him, we are pleasing to Him in this life now and in the life to come. So for a Christian to be in the kingdom now, he would weep because of sin. And he would be poor spiritually taking on the Spirit of the Lord. He wouldn't have that attitude of rebellion in him. He wouldn't have that attitude of, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to church, but then I'm going to go out Friday night and do what I want. I'm going to go out Saturday and do what I want, but I am going to go to church. Man, you're trying to live in both kingdoms and you can't do it. It's impossible. You say, but I am doing it. No, you're not doing it. You're fooling yourself. The decision's been made. You're either following Him in His way, in His kingdom, or you're following the world in His kingdom. Satan is not going to try to convince you that God doesn't exist. Satan's not going to try to get you to not go to church. 
He's just going to try to convince you that it really doesn't matter. That God's a loving God and He will welcome you in because your good outweighs your bad. Because you're a good old boy. And you get to go to heaven because of that. That's what Satan will do. He doesn't want you to think that... He, in fact, he'll probably get you up to go to church as long as he can keep you deceived about the two kingdoms and the difference in the two and what's going on in the two difference in the kingdoms that we try to live under. So, for the Christian, I weep for the sin in my life and I, re- and I, and I weep because of the reign of Satan in this world. And I long for Christ to return And to live happily, I must surrender to His way of living. I must obey His beatitudes. I must let them be a part of my life. I long for that in my life as a Christian man. And I know that some of you here long for that as well. Christ and His present and future kingdom. No fence. Not one foot in, one foot out. Jesus said, you're either for me or you are against me. So, this morning... Are you under His Lordship or are you not? Simple question. Difficult to answer. I hope you can get it right. The second point I want you to see, to the power to live the Beatitudes is to keep eternity in view. To keep eternity in focus in my life. The Christian's hope is not only in this life. Amen? My hope is in the life to come as well. In eternity. The other one, the other kingdom says that all this, all there is is this life. There is no other life. Get it now. Grab it all that you can. But the Bible teaches you and I that we are pilgrims in this land. We don't belong here. This is not our home. I was born here. I was raised here. But I was reborn here not to be here forever. I was reborn here to be home with my Lord. To be home in the kingdom of God. That's my home. That's where my citizenship is. That's where my heart is. That's where my vision is and my focus. I have to live in this world. I have to go to work and make a way. I have to provide. I have to earn wages. But it's not my focus. It's not my goal. It's not my dream. My focus is home. Amen. That is keeps us in the Beatitudes. That helps to keep us in the Beatitudes. Look what Jesus said in Mark 8. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. What does He mean by that? What does He mean by I'll lose my life? If I make this world everything and I pursue life only in this world, I'm trying to save my life, Jesus says, ultimately, you will end up losing life. Why? He goes on, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. You see, so that's part of living in the kingdom of God. Have you given up your aspirations in this world to be in the kingdom of God? Hey, I know us Americans, I believe I can say this honestly, most of us are looking as the goal to retire. That's our goal. We want to work hard. We want to make our way, provide for our family, do all of those good things. But ultimately our goal is to retire in some kind of comfort so that I can live out the rest of my days with my family at home in a comfortable situation. That's my goal. You know what? God's not against that goal. 
But that should not be your goal. Okay? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all those other things will be added to you. That's right, brother. So you see, the goal of every man working today is that home up there in the, in, with Him in eternity. That's the goal. All the rest of this is icing on the cake. Okay? Don't make your retirement. Don't make money. Don't make the stock market. Don't make all of those things your goal. Because you will lose your life. But if you lose it for the sake of Jesus in the Gospel, what does that mean? You give your life into His hands today. Right now in this place. No matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, you can put your hand, your life in His hands and then you will find life. Amen? You will find that this world is temporary. You will find that all the things you've dreamed for and worked hard for really don't amount to that much. What's important is your eternal destiny to live in the power of the Beatitudes, keep eternity as your focus. Jesus said that, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Now look at the very next verse. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What does it gain for you to reach all of your dreams? All of your aspirations in this life? What would it gain for you to live a hundred years in wealth and security and comfort and then die and go to hell? <laughs> what does it gain? Nothing. Amen? Nothing. Keep your focus on Eternity. That's where the value of life exists. Amen. The second thing I want you to see, to live according to the Beatitudes, we have to adopt God's view of... I'm sorry, we have to adopt God's value system and reject the world. In Luke 6, we got the blessings and the woes. Now, all of those together mock this world's system of value. Right? We discussed it. Jesus said, blessed are the poor. And then we come down here and it says, woe to the rich. So God is mocking our value system. I would rather be rich than poor. So God comes along and He says, uh-uh-uh, better to be poor than to be rich. Well, what do I do? I, I don't believe what you're saying, God. I'm going to continue on in my pursuit of wealth, or my pursuit of gain, my pursuit of this life. Jesus says, woe to you. Woe. Remember it said with compassion. Woe. Stop. Look what you're doing. Look where you're headed. Open your eyes. See the end result. You might have it for this life, but in eternity, you'll have nothing but torment and flame. Wow, it's not hard, is it, church? Jesus mocks our value system. We want to exalt, or this system, 
The world wants to be exalted so it despises Jesus' system. And Jesus wants you to reject the world system and admire His value system. So again, there's a decision that has to be made. A clear line between the believer and the worldling. Money. How does a worldling approach money? How does a believer use money? There's a difference, amen? There's a difference in that. Oh, I want to leave my kids some things. I want to have some things. I want to, remember I told you the other day, I want to have it, leave my kids all the things that I couldn't have, and I told you don't do that. You better leave, some, leave them some things that you did have, like some discipline, all right? Did y'all have discipline when you were a kid? You better believe I did. Today, that's out the window, isn't it? We, we don't discipline our kids. I remember getting disciplined by my neighbor's mom. <laughs> Wow. And guess what? My parents didn't run down there and say, you better not lay your hand on my kids again. You know what happened to me? I got disciplined again when dad got home. What happened to those days? We don't discipline anymore. So don't think that what you want to leave your kids things that you didn't have, you better leave them some things you did have. Chores. Discipline. All of that kind of stuff. So how, do, uh, how does a believer and a worldling handle their money? How does a believer and a worldling handle their time. What do they do with their time? Extra time that a person might have. What do you do with the resources that God has given you? Right? We think there's a difference, but yet when we look at the church today, we get shocked to see that the church looks just like the world. I'm shocked sometimes when I hear people that I know that are Christian people say, oh, I'm watching this new series on, the, on TV. And I say, you know, I tried to watch that and I couldn't watch it. Amen. And then I hear... People who are believers saying they love that show and they've been right with it all along. I just, you know, I'm not going to call them out on the floor. I'm just going to shake my head and pray for them that God would open their eyes. Right? You can't watch primetime TV today without being shocked. Can you, Christian? Can you watch it today without being shocked at what's on it? And your kids and grandkids are sitting there and they're watching it with you? Man, why aren't you changing the channel? You know, you can't hardly even watch the Disney Channel today without getting shocked. Amen? There's things that we just don't do differently. We do them just like the world. The church plays just like the world. The church gambles just like the world gambles. The church dresses just like the world dresses. The world does religion just like the church is doing religion. That's when you try to witness to somebody and they say, I know God, I read my Bible, I pray to Him every night. But you know they're not saved. You know that they are being deceived. You see that? Barna did a research study and he said this, a question given to Christian people. He said, can a good man get into heaven? 22% of the assembly of God said yes. 30% of a non-denominational church said yes. 38% of Baptists said yes. Yes. 54% of Lutherans said yes. 58% of the Methodists said yes, a good man can get into heaven. And 82% of Catholics said yes, a good man can get into heaven. Wow, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, right, no. The Bible says in Romans 3, there are none good, not even one. The Bible says in Matthew 
5, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's account, Jesus told the people, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now when he said that, all of those people held the Pharisees in high esteem. They were the most righteous and religious people that they knew. So how is my righteousness going to exceed Rabbi so-and-so? You're making it tough for me, Lord, to get into heaven. What was Jesus doing? He wasn't trying to elevate you in their righteousness. He was trying to lower their righteousness to your level. There's none good, not even one. A good man does not go into heaven on his goodness. Sure, a Christian becomes a good man. But that's not why he goes into heaven. He goes into heaven because Jesus paid his sin debt and therefore he is allowed to enter into the kingdom of God. Number two, live with God's value system, not the world's. Number three, live in total dependence on God. That's how I can live according to the Beatitudes. The poor, the hungry, the sorrowful, they had all been abandoned by the world's support. Right? We look at those people in Ukraine today and we, we mourn over that. We're sorrowful for that. They have no support. They need help. They're struggling for food and water and shelter. Right? They are no longer able to depend on their system for help. That's what the poor, that's what the hungry, the sorrowful are referring to. In fact, all these people can really do is to cast themselves upon God. He is the only hope that they have. And yes, He uses men and women like you and, my, and me to reach out to those people and to help them. The world rejects God and His support and His salvation. Right? The world doesn't need God and His salvation. This attitude of independence from God is the road to destruction. And that's where the world is on. That's where the tares are headed. That's where the goats are going. That's where the unrighteous are being driven to. You see that? Jesus made a distinction today. There's only two groups of mankind. There's the kingdom of heaven and there's the kingdom of this world. Which one are you living by? Jesus lays out for us how the kingdom people of heaven will live. It's important that we see that and understand that. So the question today is this. Do you want to be or do you want to have God's blessing on your life? Stop. Don't answer that. Let me say it again. Do you want the blessing of God on your life? Don't answer it. Don't answer it. It's a lot heavier than it sounds. Do you want the blessing of God on your life? Before you answer that, there's some things I want to share with you. If you say yes to that, it will change the way you live. If you want God's blessing on your life, it will change the way you're living right now. It will change what you watch on TV if you want God's blessing on your life. It will change where you go on Friday and Saturday night. It will change it if you want God's blessing on your life. It will change the way you dress. It will change the way you talk. It will change the way you look at people. It will change the way you feel about people. 
It will change the way what you say about people. If you want God's blessing on your life, don't answer that. It will change your life drastically if you want God's blessing on your life. If you said yes, then here's what you need to do. Reject this world. Change your view to God's view. Live dependent upon God. You must live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Wow, that that gets way too heavy, preacher. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if I can make that commitment to Him today to just totally live under His Lordship because there's some things with my job or there's some things with my friends or there's things with my family that I'm involved in you know, that that I know are not correct, but I just can't walk away from it. Jesus said, the one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. It's a decision that you have to make right now, today. If you want God's blessing on your life, that's a heavy, heavy, heavy question to answer. Because if you do, then you submit to His Lordship over you. And what He says goes. And when He says it, you answer it. When He says jump, you say how high. Amen? When the Lord is the Lord of your life, then you are in His kingdom and He is your Lord. But if you can't make that decision today, woe, woe, woe is you. The Bible is clear that we do not know when our end will come. I'm not trying to scare you. Well, I guess I am. I'm not trying to do that on purpose. I'm just trying to make you aware of something, all right? None of us are guaranteed our next breath. And you say, well, Brother Clay, I'm going to take care of some things this week, and then next Sunday I'm going to come and I'm going to walk that aisle and give my life to Jesus. I pray for you that God grants you another week. Because He may not. I, I don't know why He wouldn't, but He may not. You see, that's, the, that's what we gamble with. That's what we do. We must cast ourselves upon Him at this moment. Paul wrote to us in Corinthians, today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Not next week. Not next Sunday. Okay? Today is that day to make that decision in your life. And let me tell you this. According to our Scripture this morning, it is the only way for you to be happy. It is the only way you'll ever be happy is to step into the kingdom of God or step back into the kingdom of God or climb off the invisible fence that you think you're riding and step into the kingdom of God. That's how it works. That's what God is saying today. Now you can be happy today and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, bless this moment. Father, I know there's decisions being made right now. I see it on faces, Lord. They're thinking. They're reasoning. I pray that Your Spirit is overpowering to them. I pray that Your Spirit draws them to You. I pray, Father, that Your kingdom grows even in this place today. I pray that You break hearts in this room right now. I pray that You fill them up after You've repaired them with Your Holy Spirit. I pray that people are set free. I pray today that someone, Father, says, I will to You. 
I pray, Father, that Your name is exalted in this place. I pray that You are glorified in this place. You've given us the blessings and the woes. And Father, it's up to each man to decide which they will follow. I pray Your will is done. In Jesus' name, Amen.